Join us as we wrap up Season 5 and discuss our family's most recent and shocking autism development. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, welcome back and congratulations for surviving season five. I wonder if people actually listen to it or if they're like me and they skip to the end. (laughs) Congratulations on making it to the end. Yeah, if you do that in this, it's like so much context is lost, it would make no sense. (laughs) But but it's a fun ride either way. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about some recent developments in our family, an update on how we're all doing as a family, how our girls are doing. Good news is our girls are acclimating pretty darn well to their special education preschool. Yeah, that's, I mean, a relatively new development that's only been like the last, like, what, week or so? Less than? Yeah, it's weird. Where we're at, school starts on, like, the last week of July. It, to make it be- even better, it starts on a Friday. Yeah, it was the, the weirdest. the last <laughs> week of July. It was the weirdest thing. They started school on a Friday in July. And just for, like, general reference, the last place that we lived in, the state before the one we're in now... The school didn't start there until after Labor Day. So this was like, what? what is that, like two months difference? Right, yeah. That was definitely like a culture shock. Thankfully, though, they're so young, they don't know the difference. Because, I mean, this is probably their major exposure to like a school environment. So, I mean, they have no reference point either way. So yeah. it works. But yeah, it was more of a shocker for both of us being like, what school starts in July? <laughs> <laughs> that definitely threw us off. But I would definitely say that they have acclimated well and things are going well in that department. We have been able to finally find them a church that is doing great given the fact that they are autistic and need certain accommodations. So that has also been a recent development because we found that church just like, what, two weeks ago or so? Yeah, I think it was right around the same time that they started school ultimately. So it was a great transition because they had so many activities. So now instead of them kind of being cooped up or kind of just lounging around, they actually have a place where they can actually try and socialize. I'm not sure how much socialization is actually happening, but they have the opportunity where they are around kids that are their own age. Things are starting to kind of settle for us in a good way. We mentioned a few episodes ago that we just made a big move a couple states across. We were in like the more DC metropolitan type of area and we moved down to the south. And so it's like a big cultural shift for us. It was like a really long drive away. And obviously that transition is something that we were working with with our kids. So it took us a while to be able to find a church and a school and their therapy programs and all of that. So we are like very happy to say that we finally got that situated, but it was so not easy. Yeah, the move was very difficult, but I mean, thankfully, it seems like things are thankfully (laughs) settling into place. And now we can kind of focus on important things in life, focus on family and get into a nice routine. So then the girls can have a great structure. So it's not like things are still shifting around or they're kind of up in the unknown about what is happening next. And one of the things that it also allowed us to do is just kind of get settled in like a place that we can call home. Because prior to moving, we didn't actually own a home. And so with the girls, we'd have to kind of move from place to place all the time. And that was challenging for them. 
But honestly, it was challenging for me too, because I'm also the type that doesn't really like change. And it just felt like just as soon as you were getting used to something, we'd have to get up and move. So for me, it's been really nice to finally have a place that we can call home and like a place that I feel comfortable putting like pictures up on the wall and not feeling like they're going to get taken down like a week later because we have to move again. Even though we still have to decorate, we still have <laughs> haven't so. done it yet, but right, we right. can do it. We have the idea of it at some point. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. A part of me still feels like, am I allowed to put these up? Because it still feels like not fully real yet, but I think I'm getting there. Yeah, I think after a while, I mean, since this is kind of our new life, I think it'll kind of fall into place. So like the girls, we will find our own routine and structure. Yeah, that's definitely something that we've needed. Finding the church, finding the school, finding the therapies that has really helped us feel more comfortable and more settled and feel like this is a place that we can call home. But initially, it was definitely very challenging for all of us, I would say. This also has given us an opportunity that we didn't have before because with all the chaos of moving and the instability of not really having a home yet and all of that, we didn't really have the time to kind of settle down and like reflect on our own needs as parents. And one of the things that I noticed with the move and the the change that I did not anticipate because we did move a lot locally. But we moved a lot locally in the place that I grew up and have lived for the last 30 years. So I think that those local moves weren't as big of a deal because I was used to it. It still felt like something that was in my comfort zone. So I did not anticipate the amount of anxiety that I would have when it would come to moving to a completely different state and a completely different part of the U.S. with completely different culture and like having no friends or family nearby. That triggered anxiety of, I guess it's called like change anxiety in a sense, because it's like... Well, it forces you to adapt in every component of your life, because if you think about the places that we moved, we basically moved, what, three times within like a 15 minute radius. I say 15 minute, but it's like 15 foot. Let's be honest. It was not a 15 minute radius. Most of those were like within a couple, like a minute or two. Um, I mean, it was very, very close. I mean, it's basically in the same town for all three moves. So I mean, everything pretty much stays the same with very mild changes, except like, oh, this is where we move and this is the space that we have to live. But now when you relocate, I mean, hundreds of miles away, everything changes in your life. There is no normalcy with the exception of like your family. You still have the family dynamics, but everything outside is new and yeah to kind of adapt. That was kind of a bigger adaptation. And it was something that I had never had to really go through before. I've always had like some stress and anxiety when it comes to doing new things or things that I'm not sure how it's going to go. I definitely am the type of person that needs some sort of guideline as to, okay, what am I going to expect here to feel comfortable with that? And so this move was definitely one of those things that you don't have any sort of like guideline. You have no idea what's going to happen, how it's going to be or anything like that. That was quite stressful for me. And I think that seeing and remembering how my girls had a difficulty transitioning when we had moved from our last home to the new one. These were like the rental homes that we had had before. I kind of started realizing that I had a very similar thought pattern to them, but just, I guess, a more mature version of it because they're kids and I'm an adult. And so I started realizing that there were like a lot more parallels between some of the things that they were going through and some of the things that I was going through. So things have gotten interesting because I decided to pursue some of that looking into, I guess, the things that I have in common with my kids because 
as you probably noticed in these episodes, and I'm noticing now in retrospect, and I'm sure Matt, you've noticed this multiple times. (laughs) You're just laughing. You know, it's right. I have found that I have a lot of things in common with them and I can relate to a lot of what they're going through. And I feel like the move kind of really solidified that because I realized that this for me was a really big change and I was having a hard time with that. So all of that to say, I basically started doing some research because I go through some stress management type of counseling. I definitely recommend counseling for parents of autistic kids or special needs kids in general. It is stressful, as you know. So stress management is great, better to nip it in the bud. Through these sessions, I was able to kind of realize from the feedback that I was getting that I actually started to notice that I shared a lot of these traits that my children had. And I didn't really know it at the time, but my counselor at the time was basically questioning and asking me, probing like, well, have you ever considered that perhaps you were autistic? And I laughed so hard and I probably should not have. That was probably rude. But I I basically laughed and I was like, no, lady, I'm definitely not autistic. I talk about autism all the time on a podcast. I know what autism is. You don't know what you're talking about. And of course, I was just like laughing. But, you know, we have a good relationship. So she knows it was just like a fun, fun (laughs) laughter, not a like, you know, bully laughter. She was kind of laughing with me and she was like, "Okay, if you say so. But that kind of stuck with me. So long story short, I did decide to go ahead and pursue an evaluation for autism for myself. I think I had mentioned really early in the podcast that when my girls got evaluated, the psychologist who was, or psychiatrist actually, who was evaluating them had asked me if I had considered BAP. I haven't mentioned BAP in a while. I think it was probably just in season one, honestly. BAP is a phenotypical version of autism, which means you kind of show the characteristics, but you're not quite autistic. You would be like too high functioning to be considered autistic, but you're kind of like in that family of autism. And so the psychologist had kind of recommended that I look into that. So I started looking into that. And then I went down this rabbit hole on the internet where I started visiting these women's autism groups. What does that look for? Well, I was going to say, <laughs> all the advice that we give is like, don't go down the rabbit hole. And on I the, did it. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> take your own advice. I okay, never okay. said I Sorry. never said I follow my own advice. I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, I just wanted to point that out. No, that's fine. No, no, no. I don't follow my own advice. So if you guys don't want to, that's cool with me. So I went down this like rabbit hole. And I started noticing, because I was kind of just watching, I was kind of like a fly on the wall in these autistic women's groups. And I was trying to kind of understand what their perspective were, mostly because I wanted to see how my girls would potentially develop as adults, see kind of insight into how they think of things and stuff like that. But I started surprisingly feeling weirdly very connected to these people. (laughs) And The reason I say that is because like growing up, I always felt kind of like the odd one out. Like I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I had like all these learning disabilities and the ADHD and all of this stuff. So I always felt kind of like disconnected from my peers. But there always was this big elephant in the room when it comes to like socialization that I didn't quite get. And for some reason, I felt like when I went in these groups, I was like, wait a minute, these people get me in the sense that they were talking about the very exact same struggles I was experiencing. So I was kind of shocked and like, man, that one hurt the ego a little bit because I swore up and down. I was like, 
there's no way I have anything to do with the world of autism other than being a parent of an autistic child. So this group basically like says like, welcome homely. Is that what? No, literally. I mean, literally. (laughs) So this group, I basically got the courage to ask them. I was like, hey, I just want to know from your perspective, how would you guys like interpret this situation and like kind of getting an idea of how they function? And all their responses were like spot on to exactly how I experienced life. And so they basically all were like, should I tell her or should you tell her? And I was like, tell me what? Because of course that went over my head. And they're like, yeah, we think you should probably look into a potential autism evaluation. And I was like, really? And so I remember bringing this up to Matt. Do you remember when I brought it up to you? And I was like, do you think this is like real? Like, do you think I should actually look into this? I think once you had mentioned your counselor mentioning it, I think I jokingly, anytime I would see something <laughs> that kind of fell under like the realm that we like observe with our daughters, I'd always kind of joked around as far as that I was starting a, a blog basically where it was my stories as I was married to my autistic wife. And so I always kind of joke around like, oh, I guess I'll have to put that in like my blog, like new story to tell. I mean, obviously there's no blog, about it, but I would always just- <laughs> How do of, I know? Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I would always joke around like, oh, that kind of seems like something the girls would do. So just jokingly. But I think when you first brought it to me, I was like, eh, I'd say like maybe like, I think I think it was like one in six or something, like a pretty low chance. But then as you kept like bringing up and reading more and more things, my number kept increasing. increasing. I, like, I remember that because I would be like, <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, and it was, it started off, how autistic do you think I, I might be? <laughs> and I, and I think I pitched like originally, I was like, eh, I'm really like one in six. And I was like, okay, maybe like one, like a quarter. It was like a, one out of 10. So yeah. your number kept getting higher and higher and higher. And, closer then, to and 10. then when you would read all these stories, then at one point I was like, Babe, it's like a hundred percent. You're like, it's like a nine or 10 at this point. <laughs> it's like, why are we still asking this question? So. Yeah. I started to look into how autism presents itself in women. And I did a lot of digging in this. I looked at a lot of presentations from like world renowned psychologists and psychiatrists who study autism in women specifically, because interestingly enough, autism is not really the same in women as it is in boys for the most part. There are exceptions. My oldest child definitely presents more like the typical autistic little boy would. But my youngest child definitely, I feel like, would not have received an autism diagnosis if my oldest one hadn't gotten one first because they defaulted to looking for red flags for the second one because of the oldest one. But I feel like if the youngest had gone first, she would have been one of those girls that just flew under the radar because her characteristics are not like the stereotypical lining things up type of thing. I agree. She's very, very quiet. So I think that she would have kind of gone miss like our oldest she talks a lot it's very vocal and all that but our youngest is very quiet i think she would have easily kind of just like snuck under the radar and be like oh she's just very well behaved just a very quiet girl that keeps to herself she's probably shy and i probably wouldn't have known any different if we didn't have the first diagnosis in place yeah honestly you have to really watch to see how she is autistic you have to know what to look for but that was kind of the thing that opened up my eyes a little bit as to the possibility of actually me myself being considered for an autism diagnosis This basically led me to go and seek out a professional evaluation from like an adult 
autism expert who specifically looks into autism in women because it's often missed because current diagnoses processes for the most part tend to be based off of stereotypical autistic traits that are most commonly seen in boys. Again, they are seen in girls like my oldest daughter, but a lot of times girls tend to get missed because these traits can be slightly different. There's actually a whole term for this. It's called or often referred to as lost girls because there's a theorized or hypothesized batch of girls basically out there that have not been diagnosed autistic that probably should have been, but flew under the radar because of the inaccessibility of these testing, which is not really geared towards the way that a female's autistic brain works and instead is tailored more towards how a male autistic brain works. I researched places that were more specialized and aware of how autism presents in women. I was able to get on a wait list for an assessment. And of course, to nobody's surprise, there are year to two year wait lists for adult assessments, just like there are with our kids assessments. That was surprising, but not surprising because it was just as hard to get that appointment. And the barrier, additional barrier, there's also that with adult autistic assessments, you basically have to pay out of pocket for those. Like insurances simply will not cover any adult autistic evaluation, which is pretty shocking, but that tends to be a significant barrier for people and women in particular who are seeking these diagnoses late in life. So I found a program that has a lower cost version of the assessment. The assessment's the same. It involved like three days of assessments that were done remotely. I was told to fill out a whole bunch of these like questionnaires and self-evaluations. There were like three different meetings that were about three hours each. I think they were were really long. long, Yeah. Yeah. So I think my assessment was probably a grand total of nine to 10 hours long over a span of like three different days. So I think from beginning to end, it probably took like a month because it was like one. Yeah. Because there would be like two weeks between each appointment. So it probably took about a month or a month and a half of testing. It was really, really thorough before I was able to get the results to my evaluation. Interestingly and surprisingly enough, I guess to my (laughs) shock but not dismay, I was officially diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder level one. So that's a thing. (laughs) I have not really come out super publicly about it yet. So I guess I'm ruining that right now because the whole world knows now. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's on um, it's on Autism Wish. I, I was reading it the other day. It's and I saw, very subtle, though. Well, I was reading it the other day, and at first I was like, is she talking about me? And I was like, what is she talking I'm, about? I'm throwing a hint <laughs> in there for you. That I'm the one. <laughs> I'm like, get yourself checked. <laughs> no, but I basically came out to like my family, my immediate family. Other than that, I haven't really come out to anyone else other than my counselor, of course, because that's obviously necessary. And she was the one who told me to get it checked out anyway. And of course, she was right. So kudos to her. Um, Yeah, I know. She called it. So see, this is why it's great to have a counselor. Like no matter what, if you think the issue is really small or really big, I didn't even feel like I really needed a counselor. But it's just nice to have somebody to talk to when you are raising an autistic child. The stress can be overwhelming, but that was really helpful. And she helped me recognize these things. She picked up on some of these autistic characteristics and traits that I had that I didn't even notice I had. Like she was picking up that during our conversation, 
sessions, I would rock back and forth a lot. And I never even noticed I do that because I don't see myself. I can't literally see myself. And I just didn't realize I did that. So there's like a lot of little things like that that you don't really pick up on unless you have somebody from the outside observing you and giving you that feedback. And then, of, then of course, the more obvious ones, like when you'd have like a meltdown. Yeah, <laughs> like that time you didn't give me chocolate. <laughs> uh, just give you some chicken nuggets. <laughs> no, you know the rule is throw the chocolate bar, close the door, run away. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm just kidding. No, he is, but I am also a fanatic of chocolate. So <laughs> that part's real. So yeah, uh, I probably should be like really vulnerable and emotional about this, but I don't feel that way. It gives you a sense of like belonging, more or less. Like you seem to have kind of gotten answers that you were seeking from what I've gathered throughout your life, not knowing why some situations were the way that they were. It's kind of like closure, I think, is what you're getting at. Yeah. A lot of people, when they go through this process where they have an autistic child and then they start seeing traits in themselves that are very similar to the autistic child, if you're in that boat, I would say go ahead and pursue it because you might end up with a similar story to mine where you actually do ultimately end up getting an autism diagnosis that I I never would have guessed I had, honestly. It does help you reflect on things in the past. Your perspective of things kind of changes a little bit because it is a little bit of closure for why perhaps things didn't work out a certain way or why they did work out a certain way in life in terms of social relationships or just like habits that you have or just things like that. But I think also most importantly for me personally, it's helping me to really learn to truly embrace autism because prior to this podcast, I had never even come out about my ADHD publicly. It was something that I wouldn't say I was ashamed of, but I had been so bullied for it growing up that I didn't want to bring it up because I felt like I would inevitably get bullied again. So it was more like a defense mechanism to just not bring up my ADHD. And so this podcast and you guys listening out there, you guys are actually the first people for me to ever like disclose that to because as soon as my kids got their diagnosis, it just felt hypocritical to not be open about my own neurodivergence and be talking so much about theirs. Now that's something that I have to go through a new journey all over again with autism to be able to be my best authentic self and start to unmask and really begin that new journey of that unmasking process because I have been masking this whole time because I obviously had no idea. (laughs) I'm such a good masker that I didn't even notice. I knew something was off, but I never had imagined autism because again, I, I thought about the stereotypes that you would think of with like boys and I definitely didn't relate to those. But when I looked into the characteristics of high functioning women, I definitely related to those. This has been a new development in our family. This is something that is impacting my ability to parent my kids in a good way because now this is giving me new insight and a new perspective. Now I'm really learning what it is to like embrace autism and that I have to be able to authentically and fully embrace my own autism in order to be able to be a good role model for them and be able to have them feel comfortable in their own skin and have them be okay. Step one is basically removing the stigma from my own life because I don't want to be a hypocrite to them. And then I can help break some of those barriers for them, hopefully, so that by the time they reach adulthood, they don't have to deal with the same sort of stuff I had to deal with growing up. That's true. I mean, you took embracing autism to the next level. You lived 30 
three years <laughs> to then find out that you are autistic. And then now you're- Hey, I have delayed processing. <laughs> now you're on it. Uh, I have delayed processing. It was yeah. like a 33-year delay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm the same as I was, but I still have my other- you're still processing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, still my, I still have my stuff going on, but I mean, I'm pretty much the same as before. <laughs> yeah. So this journey of mine has inspired me and Matt to take a new look at autism from this perspective in our next season. Now that season five has ended, this is the final episode of season five, Wounds to Heal. And we are going to be taking a little break again, like we normally do between the seasons. Before we start up with season six, season six, we're going to dive a little bit more into autism in adulthood, what that looks like to kind of give you guys some insight on what I have gone through growing up and give you guys an empathetic insider's view. The online community can be pretty vicious when it comes to autistic adults and the advice that they give to parents of autistic children. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to alienate parents of autistic children. I think you guys are going through a lot and you definitely need the support. I mean, I've been there. I know what it's like. So I'm going to try to take advantage of the next season, season six, to try to give you guys a perspective that perhaps is a little more empathetic and understanding than what you might be hearing or seeing on the internet, because it is, again, a perspective of both a parent and now an autistic adult. So I want to be sensitive to what you guys are going through, but still be able to give you some insider scoop as to what it might feel like to be autistic and what you may be able to expect with your kids on certain things like sensory or like just transitions and meltdowns and that sort of thing from the adult autistic version of that. So yes, that was our big surprise. Surprise! I am also autistic. <laughs> woo! Um, that's like a weird thing to like make a woohoo sound about, but there it is. <laughs> you did it. I'm still processing this in case you can't tell. <laughs> um, I'm one of those people that like when you're like nervous, you just act a fool. I'm like, woohoo, but I don't really, I don't really know what I'm thinking right now. You did it. Yeah, I don't really know. I'm still processing this as I told you. So it's like weird for me. I am going to leave you guys with that. Just want to give you guys a reminder to please, if you have not yet, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. We also have a YouTube channel that we need to get to 100 subscribers to be able to make a custom URL. So if you could just take like one second of your time to just look up the phrase embracing autism IRL and our videos should show up immediately. You'll see the Autism Wish logo there. Do us a favor and just hit subscribe. We have the videos there from our Embracing Autism IRL spinoff, which is the video interview series that we do with a bunch of guests. So far, I think about 95% of them are autistic adults. Take a look at those videos if you like, but please, if you have a moment, subscribe so that we can change that URL. It'd be great if it wasn't like 013HZ. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> just do us a solid so we can change that. Again, if you would like to leave us some voicemails, you can do so at speak pipe.com slash embracing autism. We listen to those and we will respond. I think last time we responded in our live Q&A to some of the ones that we had received. We might also feature it in a future episode. We're thinking up some cool new ideas for next season that we're going to test out. So leave us a voicemail. Who knows? You might hear it in the future episodes. Reach out to us if you have any questions. Feel
feel free to hashtag us, Ask Embracing Autism. We follow those and we'll answer those questions in future episodes as well. And if you have any other questions about the podcast, feel free to send us an email at podcast at autismwish.org. Lastly, most importantly, if you enjoy this podcast, if you feel like we're giving you some valuable information and feedback, please don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us gain sponsors for our gifting programs for Autism Wish. A little five-star review goes a long way. Thanks for listening, guys. We will be coming back soon, so stick around. We will be dropping a trailer soon and some more information on autism and adulthood coming soon. And we'll see you next season. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Season 5 of the Embracing Autism Podcast. Stick around and tune into next week's bonus episode where we play the audio from our video spin-off series, Embracing Autism IRL. In this episode, we speak with Andrew Comoro, autistic adult and founder of Planning Across the Spectrum. We answer questions such as, why is financial planning so important for the autistic community? Why do you think there's so much controversy in the autistic community? And what can be done to ease the divide? This is Embracing Autism.